I remember hearing a story one time about a Christian couple that were in the, the uh, what do you call it, the amphitheater or the, 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 the Colosseum? Is that what you call it? The Colosseum? We know what the Colosseum is? All right. And the, the Roman guards were getting ready to kill this Christian couple, man and wife. And as they're sitting there getting ready to feed these people to the lions, they notice that the husband and his wife are arguing. The Roman guards are watching the husband and the wife arguing just before their death, and you know what they're saying to themselves? These people aren't Christians. These people aren't really about what they profess. They're about to die, and the very last thing they're doing is arguing. Now, is a house divided able to stand? I praise God for the mercy of Jesus, beloved. Because as those same Roman guards got closer to the husband and the wife, they began to hear the context of the argument. Do you want to know what they were arguing about? The husband is saying to his wife, I will lay down my life for you. The wife is saying, no, 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 no. I'm going to lay down my life for you. So on the outside looking in, all they could see was argument, and their conclusion was these people can't be Christians. But as they got closer to the couple in question, they recognized that something had happened in the heart of the husband. Something had happened in the heart of the wife, whereas instead of arguing, they were trying to come in agreement about who loved who more and who was willing to die first. Now, is that an argument that husbands you would love to have with your wife? Someone says, I've been through some arguments, Brother Paul. All right, well, God is faithful, beloved. God can change even the things that we argue about. Can you imagine uh, uh, arguing with somebody about, about something like that? It's, it's out of this world, beloved. It's not something that originates in human hearts. Many a times throughout the Bible, Roman guards and spies were listening to Jesus, people that came to trap Jesus in his words, and whenever they heard Jesus, they would return to the Pharisees, they would return to the Sadducees, converted themselves, saying, never a man spoke like this man. Beloved, I believe that God's desire with you and I is to bring us into a position with him where everyone, it doesn't matter if it's an argument or not, will be able to say, never people argued about the things these people argue about. It's completely different, amen? Amen? Somebody says, Brother Paul, I don't want to argue altogether. Well, praise God for that too. Protestantism, beloved, our forgotten legacy. In the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verses 20 and 21, the Bible gives us a very important principle, a principle that by the grace of God I intend to continue living by, and whenever I share studies like this, I, I often uh, quote this scripture. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, beginning at verse 20. Are we there? All right, the Bible says, despise not prophesying. Prove how many things? All things and hold fast to that which is good. Beloved, do you know that if everything we've been talking about these past couple of nights is true, God expects you and I to come into an intelligent faith. What type of faith? An intelligent faith where we're able not just to declare it, but to actually prove it to those who are listening. Do we want to reach that, that, that uh, pinnacle in our faith? Yes, we do. We have to be able to prove it, beloved. In the book, The Great Controversy, page 563 in paragraph 1, if you've never read the book, beloved, I tell you there are very few books in this world that will give you such a concise and clear picture of what Protestantism actually is. There are very few books in this world that can paint the Protestant Reformation as this book. It is called The Great Controversy. On page 563 of this book, we are told, Romanism is now regarded by Protestants with far greater favor 
than in former years. Is that true today? In those countries where Catholicism is not in the ascendancy and the papists are taking a conciliatory course in order to gain influence, there is an increasing indifference concerning the doctrines that separate the Reformed churches from the papal hierarchy. The opinion is gaining ground that, after all, we do not differ so widely upon vital points as has been supposed, and that a little concession, a little compromise on our part will bring us into a better understanding with Rome. The time what now, now let me read that one more time. A little concession on our part will bring us into a better understanding with Rome. Beloved, only by the grace of God, I believe myself to be a sharpshooter. I'm going to ask you a very serious and very pointed question. Do we need to be coming into harmony with anyone who believes themselves to be God on earth? Do we need to be coming into harmony with anyone who has the audacity to sit themselves between the cherubs where Jesus alone is supposed to sit? Do we have any desire in this room? No. Am I speaking about people? Talk to me, beloved. Make it plain. Am I speaking about people? If there's a Roman Catholic man that you know who loves the Lord, should you help that man? Should you study with that man? Should you pray with that man? Yes. So then we're not talking about people, beloved. We're talking about the system. And as repetitive as I sound, you would be surprised. You can sit down. There are people that can sit down in a meeting like this and believe that we're attacking people. This is the reason why I have to make it very plain from the pulpit, beloved. We have no need to join ourselves, no matter what, with anyone who claims the position of Christ on earth. Give me Jesus and you can have all of this world. What do you say? The time was when Protestants placed a high value upon the liberty of conscience, which had been so dearly purchased. They taught their children to abhor popery and held that to seek harmony with Rome would be disloyalty to God. But how widely different are the sentiments now expressed? I'm going to share a video with you, uh, even now. I want you to listen very carefully. The Bible said in Revelation chapter 13 that the beast was likened unto a... A goat? What was that, beloved? A leopard. The Bible said in Jeremiah chapter 13 that a leopard cannot change its... Here we're told, beloved, that in America a change has come where Protestants no longer see any reason to protest against Rome. I want you to see a video from 2015 that tells us in 2021 that we are living in that generation, even now. There's nobody from South Africa who gives up his house to follow some crazy call from the Catholics, ends up getting a phone call at home from the Pope. <laughs> so I said to him, look, I'll be there on the 13th. He said, no, I'm busy. <laughs> and this is, I'm not making this up. This is how it was. Emmy was at the door listening to the conversation. And uh, I said, well, I can do the 14th. I can stay one day extra in Rome. He said, let me go get my diary. I heard the phone go on the table. I heard the feet <laughs> come back. He said, Bishop Tony? He said, yes. He said, 14th's good for me. I'm free. He said to me, what time? I said, hey, you're the Pope and you're asking me what time? <laughs> he said, yeah. 
what time suits you? So I thought, well, 10 o'clock, because I can miss the traffic, because Rome's bad, the traffic. So I said, uh, 10 o'clock will suit me fine. He said, see you at 10 o'clock. So I said to him, I said, uh, Pope Francis, I can't believe that you're phoning me. I don't know how to react to you. I was just being honest. He said, what do you mean? I said, you're the Pope of the Universal Church. <laughs> 1.2 billion people. And I'm just an, uh, an everyday clergyman doing his bit for the kingdom. He said, Tony, we cut covenant. We are brothers. He said, nothing will change that friendship. I was blessed. Because all these stories you've heard about Francis, about picking his friends up in his mobile and taking them, and all that, going out to visit people, this, he hasn't changed his spots. So, I went last Tuesday, I went to see him. We had the morning together, just me and him, the whole morning in his apartment. And uh, I asked him, I said, uh, so what's the agenda? Why did you call me? He said, I have no agenda. There's nothing to discuss. That's a father. That's a mentor. So I started to tell him, you know, I said, I can't believe I'm sitting here. I said, you know how much we can do together? Yes. And we made a covenant to work for unity for the church. And I said, listen, next week, I'm going to Kenneth Copeland Ministries Ministers Conference. And I told him about you. I told him all your crazy stories. I said, there's going to be thousands of leaders, and these guys have their jets. They've got TV shows. And I said, they've got churches of 10,000, 2,000, 20,000. I said, these are big fishes. <laughs> so he said, so what do you want to do? I said, well, can you please? I told him that, about Kenneth and Gloria's partnership with us from day one. And uh, you know, I, lot, I lost a lot of evangelical friends because they thought I'd betrayed the faith because I was building a kingdom and not an empire. Sorry. And so I said to him, how's about we take, can you give Kenneth a word and give the leaders a word? He said, okay. So I'm waiting for him. And he says, you want to take a message next week to Texas for me? I said, yes, sir. So I said, do you want me to write it down? He said, why don't we make a video? Now, I had in the back of my mind, I had my iPhone, right? I always have my iPhone. I had in the back of my mind to ask him, but I didn't want to be cheeky and break the friendship. I don't want to abuse a friendship. Friendships are, are sacred. They are gifts from God. You can't use friendships. Let God use your friendship, but you don't use it. And so I was waiting for, to see if there was like a, a Holy Spirit opportunity to ask him. But he was the one who asked. He asked, can I make a video? And so we've had it edited. We've had it subtitled because he speaks in Italian. We, he doesn't speak English. He tries in the beginning, but then he switches to Italian straight away. So tonight, the Pope, it's a historic moment because I've never, I've served three Popes because I started working with them when John Paul was still alive and then Pope Benedict and now Pope Francis. And you know, Pope Francis, St. Francis of Assisi was an open charismatic. This is the first Pope in history that's took the Francis's name, because he's openly charismatic. And this is history that we've got a Pope who recognizes us as brothers and sisters, speaks to us as brothers and sisters, and has sent a message to us, and you'll see what the message is about. And I need you to at least understand a little bit of the, the history behind this. 
because we are living in an incredibly important generation. I believe that God has brought me here to this year's Ministers Conference in the spirit of Elijah. Let me explain. If you look carefully, the spirit of Elijah was on John the Baptist to turn the hearts of the sons to the fathers. And to turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons. To prepare the way for the Lord. And we know that prophecy always has a double fulfillment. And we know that Elijah will come before the second coming as well. And I've understood that the spirit of Elijah is the spirit of reconciliation. To return hearts to each other. This is very important. We know that the first thousand years there was one church. It was called the Catholic Church. And the word Catholic means universal. It doesn't mean Roman. Catholic means, if you're born again, raise your hand if you're born again. You're a Catholic. (laughs) Take back, redeem what belongs to you. We are Catholics. And then there was the split at the end of the first millennium. We had the Orthodox, East and West, two churches. Then 500 years later, we have Luther and his protest. Three churches in 1500 years. Three denominations, not three churches. And then, from Luther's protest onwards, 33,000 new denominations. I've come to understand that diversity is divine. It's division that's diabolic. It's true what you were saying about the glory. I agree with you, of course, it's true. The glory that the Father had, he gave to Jesus. The glory was the presence of God. What is the charismatic renewal? It's when we experience the presence of God. And he said, and I give them the glory, pragmatic reason, so that they may be one. It's the glory that glues us together, not the doctrines. It's the glory. If you accept that Christ is living in me and the presence of God is in me and the presence of God is in you, that's all we need. Because God will sort out all our doctrines when we get upstairs. Therefore, Christian unity is the basis of our credibility because Jesus said until they won, they will not believe. The world will not believe, as they should, until we are one. Division destroys our credibility. It is fear that keeps us separated because fear is false evidence appearing real. It's an acronym. F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. Because most of your fear is based on propaganda. Now, why is it historic? Because in 1999, the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestant Lutheran Church signed an agreement that brought an end to the protest. Luther believed that we were saved by grace through faith, alone. Amen. But that's not it. The Catholic Church believed that we were saved by works. And that was the protest. In 1999, they wrote this together. Because in the Protestant Church, we had a lot of cheap salvations. People were getting born again, but no fruit whatsoever. And because we didn't even look for fruit, it wasn't the issue. Because it wasn't necessary for salvation. And no, it's not. But it's a good judge if you are saved. 
So what these two churches did, they put the two definitions together. Listen to it. I'm reading verbatim from the Catholic Vatican website. Justification means that Christ himself is our righteousness, in which we share through the Holy Spirit in accord with the will of the Father. Together we Catholics and Protestants, Lutherans, believe and confess that by grace alone, in faith, in Christ's saving works, and not because of any merit on our part, we are accepted by God and receive the Holy Spirit who renews our hearts while equipping and calling us to good works. This brought an end to the protest of Luther. Brothers and sisters, Luther's protest is over. Is yours. In 1999, this was signed by the Lutheran Church, the Federation Worldwide. Later, about five years later, the Worldwide Methodists signed the same agreement. But as of today, we still have had no Protestant evangelical that will stand up and sign this agreement to agree with our brothers and sisters that we are saved by grace through faith to good works. And I believe that's something that needs to be fixed. There's a challenge for you. So the protest has been over for 15 years. And I get a bit cheeky here because I challenge my Protestant pastor friends. If there is no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? Maybe we now we're all Catholics again. <laughs> but we are reformed. We're Catholic in the universal sense. We are not protesting the doctrine of salvation by the Catholic Church anymore. We now preach the same gospel. We now preach you are saved by grace through faith alone. The word alone was the argument for 500 years. The word alone is there. You can read it yourself. The protest is over. The protest is over. So let me pray. And then we'll start the video. Do we understand what we just heard? If we don't, raise our hand. Tony Palmer, at this meeting with all these evangelicals, Lutherans, Baptists, etc., etc., different denominations, leaders. Have you ever heard of the name Kenneth Copeland before? He's a small fish, is he? That's a, that's, a, that's, a big, that's a mover and shaker in the Sunday world, isn't it? These are the people that were in the audience as Tony Palmer, a representative of Pope Francis, was speaking. And the crux of his message, did you notice how in the beginning he said that Pope Francis has not changed his... Did you catch that? It's interesting how we can speak exactly the words of the Bible and not know what we're saying. Did you notice how throughout the video there was this calling for unity between Roman Catholics and the Protestant world? And by the end of the video, the crux of what he was saying is that what you and I call Protestantism, is there anyone in this room who, can, who claims to be a Protestant right now? Well, according to what we just heard, according to Rome, your protest, my protest is what? Over. 
Now it's interesting because as I listened to this video, beloved, it was very hard for me to sit here and not say anything, you know, because I was wondering, Lord, are they catching this and this and this and this? It was a long clip, wasn't it? A lot was said. Now, beloved, there are men online more eloquent than I that have broken this thing down. You can, you can YouTube it. Tony Palmer addresses the evangelicals. Look for it and they will break it down for you. The crux of what was said is that the protest that we are a part of is over. Tony Palmer said that if the protest is over, how can there be a Protestant church? Why do you call yourself a Seventh-day Adventist, a Lutheran, a Baptist, a Methodist? If the protest is over, he says, I guess we are all Roman Catholics. And rather than hearing, not so, my friend, my Bible says, what we heard from these evangelical leaders was laughter and applause. As a Protestant, is that startling to you? Can you see that something has changed? Are we all Roman Catholics in this room tonight? <laughs> some, some of us louder than others. <laughs> no, beloved. We take our stand not upon traditions of men. Jesus says, in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commandments of men. Rather than the traditions of people, we claim the word of God and the word of God alone. Amen? Now, I want to show you something very specific that Tony Palmer uh, had said in this video. Tony Palmer, born 1966 and passed in 2014, shortly after this message, said this in the video. Division destroys our credibility. Division destroys our credibility. Now, I would agree with that statement, unless, of course, there was credible reason for our division. Division only destroys credibility, beloved, when there's no credible reason for why you're divided. Do you remember on July 4th, 1776, there was a special kingdom, a special nation that came up and declared her independence from Europe. Do you remember that? Now, if you don't remember that, I don't know if you know where you are tonight. One of the things that was said during that time is that when in the course of human events, it becomes necessary, beloved, for one people to dissolve the political bands that have joined them to another. One of the things that prove that you're a man of God, that prove that you're a woman of God, is that you must be able to declare the causes of that separation. If I told you, never go back to wherever it was that you came from, and I gave you no reason for that, would you do it? Well, I hope not. Give me Bible. Praise the Lord. If I were to tell the people living in the American colonies back in 1776, separate from, uh, from, from the UK, separate from England, just do that and declare nothing, do you know that I would be in the wrong? Common decency demands that if there's a need for separation, the cause of that separation should be declared. Amen? So while Tony Palmer does, is correct in that division destroys our credibility, unless there's credibility for our division. Amen? He says it is fear that keeps us separated because fear is false evidence appearing real. Now I wonder, have we been studying false evidence appearing real during these meetings? Did we make up what Pope Boniface VIII said when he said that he holds the place of God on earth? Did we make up the meaning of vicarious Philly Day, which to this day is tied up in the title of Pope Francis as Bishop of Rome? Are these cunningly devised fables? Pay close attention, beloved. He says false evidence appearing real. It's an acronym, F E 
F-E-A-R. Because most of your fear, speaking to Protestants, is based on propaganda. I wonder if the Dark Ages was propaganda. I wonder if burning of Christians at the stake and tar and feathering Christians and feeding them to lions and tigers and bears and any other uh, carnivorous animal that you can think of, I wonder if all of that was propaganda. Do you think that's how God sees it this evening? In 1999, he says, the Roman Catholic Church and Protestant Lutheran Church signed an agreement that brought an end to the protest. Now, I showed you what, uh, what Martin Luther himself said while he was alive about the Roman church, did I not? Do you think Martin Luther would have signed that paper? Beloved, there's a not enough paperwork in this world to erase the amount of blood that has been shed in favor of what we call Protestantism. It's important that we catch this. It says, Luther believed that we are saved by grace through faith alone. Amen. The Catholic Church believed that we were saved by works, and that was their protest. Now, historians that may be in this room, was that all that Martin Luther protested against the papacy? Was Martin Luther okay with the fact that there was a man on earth that called himself God? Do you remember, on October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther took what is called the 95, count it, how many? 95 theses, and he nailed it to the church of Wittenberg in Germany. Do we remember this? This is history, beloved. It wasn't one thing that Martin Luther had an issue with with the papacy. No, beloved. You can't sweep everything under the rug. What about the other 94? What about the indulgences? What about the prayers to Mary in, 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 as a co-mediator with Jesus when the Bible says that there is only one mediator between God and man? What about the fact that the Roman Catholic Church has taken the commandments of God and has literally altered them? In the Bible, the Bible tells me in the second commandment that we ought not to make graven images. Did you know that if you opened a Roman Catholic catechism tonight, catechism, is that how you say that word? That the second commandment isn't even there. That commandment about idol worship is not even there. There was more to the protest. There is. More to the protest this evening, beloved, than merely what was quoted by Tony Palmer. What is happening here is in order to find unity between Romanism and Protestants today, they're trying to sweep the history. Sweep the what? Under the rug. Beloved, we're going to have to understand our history. He says, brothers and sisters, the protest is over. Is yours? Say that louder, brother. No, I want to hear a loud cry. What was your answer? No, sir. By the grace of God, the protest continues. Not because we're against men, beloved, but because truth. One of the things he said in the video was that God is going to sort out all of our doctrinal differences when we get to heaven. Is that true? Jesus said, ye shall know the and the truth shall make you. Now, if truth makes a man free, what do you suppose error does to men? It enslaves us, beloved. Jesus is not coming back to free a people. He's coming back to receive a people that he has freed by his glorious truth. Do we need the truth this evening? Before we get to heaven. Then I can't agree with Tony Palmer. Are we understanding? Respectfully. It says, brothers and sisters, the protest is over, is yours. I challenge my Protestant pastor friends, and he's speaking to Protestants as he says this, and they're laughing. 
if there is no more protest, how can there be a Protestant church? October 31st, 1517, in the Great Controversy, we're told, at Wittenberg in Germany, a light was kindled whose rays should extend to the uttermost parts of the earth and which was to increase in brightness to when? Has time yet ended? So then can the protest really be over from 1999 if the protest is to continue until the close of time? Does God have a people on earth who he is still using to preach the truth in protest against a system of error? So then the protest continues, my brother. The protest continues. Does anybody know who this man is on the left side of the screen? This is a man by the name of Johann Tetzel. He lived from 1465 to the year 1519 AD. Johann Tetzel is a very important part to what happened at the Church of Wittenberg with Martin Luther. The 95 Theses was specifically against the teaching of what the Catholic Church calls indulgences. Johann Tetzel, in those days of Martin Luther, was the one in charge of the indulgences. Now hear these words from the Great Controversy. The official appointed to conduct the sale of indulgences in Germany, Johann Tetzel by name, had been convicted of the basest offenses against society and against the law of God. But having escaped the punishment due for his crimes, he was employed to further the mercenary and unscrupulous projects of the Pope. As Tetzel entered a town, a messenger went before him announcing, the grace of God and of the Holy Father is at your gates. And the people welcomed the blasphemous pretender as if he were God himself come down from heaven to them. The infamous traffic was set up in the church and Tetzel, ascending the pulpit, extolled the indulgences as the most precious gift of God. Now somebody says, what are indulgences? We continue. Speaking of Tetzel, he declared that by virtue of his certificates of pardon, his what, beloved? Is there anyone in this room who's ever bought a certificate of pardon? On the other side, is there anybody in this room who brought their passport this evening? Beloved, we forgot what our passport is. I told you that there's something in the scripture that is a passport from this world into the next. There was blood that was shed way back on Calvary. And if we have the man Christ Jesus, then guess what he is? He is our passport from this world into the next. Do you want to go home? Did you bring your passport this evening? That sounds much better. Praise the Lord. Now, this man, Tetzel, was selling what is called certificates of pardon. Pay close attention. He claimed that by virtue of his certificates of pardon, all of the sins which the purchaser should afterward desire to commit would be forgiven him, and that not even repentance was necessary. Now, that's a very interesting doctrine, isn't it? This thing called indulgences. Can you imagine preaching from the pulpit, knowing that in the room there may be a... a I'll say it in the most tactful way possible. Men that would harm your children. You understand what I'm saying? Knowing that and teaching these men that you can buy a certificate of pardon from me and afterwards go and harm the child and not even repentance is necessary. Your sin is forgiven. Beloved, is that Bible? 
Not at all. I believe that God does not deal in certificates of pardon. God deals in redemptive blood that is able to take away the sin. The same man that would hurt children, God wants to take that man and remove that sin out of his life entirely. Praise the Lord. But Tetzel and the Roman Catholic Church were teaching that by certificates of pardon, you could purchase these things and go about your life committing sin. No consequences, beloved. That's not Bible. More than this, he assured his hearers that the indulgences had the power to save not only the living, but the dead. That at the very moment the money should clink against the bottom of his chest, the soul in whose behalf it had been paid would escape from purgatory and make its way to heaven. Now, we're going to talk tomorrow about a subject that is entitled Wine or Bread. And we're going to take a look at what the Bible says in regards to various uh, ideologies that are thought of by uh, Christians in this world today to see whether or not these things are true from the Bible. But can you imagine playing on the hopes of people? Is there anyone in this room who has ever lost someone they loved? Loved ones that are in the grave right now. Do you understand that if you and I did not know our Bibles well, how powerful a hold on the mind that teaching is that I can pay money to save my lost loved one who never received Christ and he goes to heaven just because I paid uh, however much it cost. Beloved, the price of heaven is Jesus alone. The price of heaven is Jesus alone. Jesus paid it all. How much is left for you to pay? Five cents. Zero cents? Zero cents, my sister. If Jesus pays it all, then there's nothing left for you and I to pay. The only way that a man can get to heaven he must be alive, and he must exercise faith. He must exercise what? And receive the man Christ Jesus. Now Luther, though still a papist of the straightest sort at that time, was filled with horror at the blasphemous assumptions of the indulgences mongers. Many of his own congregation had purchased certificates of pardon, and they soon began to come to their pastor, Martin Luther, confessing their various sins and expecting absolution, not because they were penitent and wished to reform or change, but on the ground of the indulgence. Luther refused. Luther did what? You know, another word for refuse right there is protest. Luther protested them, their absolution, and warned them that unless they should repent and change their lives, they must perish in their sins. Is that Bible? So we're seeing that the issue with Martin Luther and the Roman Catholic Church has always been, what does the Bible say? That has always been the issue, beloved. Every Protestant that there has ever been has lived by a code. It was known as sola scriptura the bible and the bible only my sister john wycliffe protestant reformer john huss who was often uh partnered with a man by the name of jerome protestant reformers martin luther john calvin william tyndale beloved there's not enough space on this powerpoint screen for me to list them all praise god is that good news Yes, it is. Praise God. There are more than I can list, but every single one of these men lived by sola scriptura, by scripture alone, and it is a theological doctrine held by, well, not by some, but by all true Protestant Christian denominations that hoist the Christian scriptures as the sole infallible source of authority for Christian faith and practice. 
This is from Google. Now, now why is Sola Scriptura speaking about the sole infallible source? Why was it important to men like Martin Luther to make it clear that the only infallible source was the Word of God? Because in the days of Martin Luther, there was a system. There was a what? By the name of the papacy, who believed that their word was not only equal with the Bible. That's not what they believed. They believed that their word was, guess what? Above the Bible. Beloved, we have to understand that so long as there are men in this world who believe that their word is higher than the Bible, is that your belief? Then the protest continues, my brother. I'm going to say that over and over and over again, because I believe that everyone under the sound of my voice tonight in their heart desire to be a Protestant, not because we want to protest men, but because we want to uplift Jesus. But do you know that when you uplift Jesus, everything that says it is God in his place is automatically cast down? It is impossible to lift up Jesus and stand with Antichrist. Did you know that? It is impossible to receive the rest from Jesus and find yourself with the mark of the beast. Did you know that? True Protestantism, what did I say? Is a close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus alone. True Protestantism, what did I say? Is faith upon the word of Jesus alone. It doesn't matter what any man says. If it's not in my Bible, I want nothing to do with it. Praise God. Now on our screen, I took the time. I want you to write these texts down. We're in our last five minutes, beloved. On the left side of the screen, the Bible speaks uh, in Matthew 15 and verse 9, Jesus said, In vain do they worship me, teaching for commandments the doctrines of men. And on the left side of the screen, I have, lift, I have listed six well-known papal traditions in contrast with what the Bible actually teaches. In Psalms 119 and verse 105, the Bible says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a what? a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. Do you know that the history of the papal reign from 538 A.D. until 1798 A.D. was called the Dark Ages because the light, the Bible, was not allowed among the people? The reason why so many in this world are following blindly tradition is because we have yet to reach the place where we are able to study for ourselves. On the left side of the screen, it is a papal tradition that Catholic priests are referred to as father. Is that true? Well, the Bible says in the book of Matthew 23 and verse 9 that we are to call how many men? No man, our father. Somebody says, Brother Paul, don't you have a father? Yes, I do. The Bible is not speaking about biologically. The Bible is saying that we should call no man our spiritual father. Do you know that the name Pope means Papa? Father, the Bible literally tells us, beloved, that we are to call no man by that title. There is one Father. How many? Who is in heaven. There is one Son. How many? Who is in heaven. And he is working through us this evening by his one Spirit. Beloved, we cannot afford to get this thing confused. It's imperative that we understand who it is we serve so that we can recognize every counterfeit that comes our way. It is a papal tradition that sins are confessed to a priest and are forgiven in that confessional. Isn't that right? The Bible says in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 and Mark chapter 2 and verse 7 that God alone has the power to forgive sins. But that makes sense, Brother Paul. 
We saw the other night that the Roman Catholic Church believe that the man who has the title Vicarious Philidae, the man who has the title Pope, believes himself to be God on earth. So it makes sense that they would think they had the power to forgive sins. Is that a good conclusion? But are they God on earth? Do they have the power to forgive sins? What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me pure within? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, beloved. It is a papal tradition, number three, that prayers are often to the spirits of dead saints, St. Peter and, and all these various different saints. But the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 18 that this is an abomination to the Lord. It is a papal tradition to see Mary as a co-mediator with Christ. Normally, um, you know, I have, I have very good Catholic, Roman Catholic friends, and normally when they pray, they, they will say, Hail Mary, Mother of Grace. Isn't that right? The view is that Mary is a co-mediator with Christ, but the Bible teaches in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, uh, verse 5, there is how many? One mediator between us and God, that is Jesus Christ. It is a papal tradition to, to have prayers to Mary. But John chapter 14 tells us that we are to pray to God the Father in the name of Christ alone. It is a papal tradition to worship graven images or what we call idols. But this directly breaks the second commandment as highlighted in Exodus 20 verses 4 through 6. Beloved, the protest wasn't merely what Tony Palmer mentioned. That was a part of it. But the protest is much grander than that. The protest is the word of God over the traditions of men. What do you say? We're coming to a close. On our screen on the left side, uh, we have the biblical Ten Commandments in contrast with the Catholic Ten Commandments as presented in the Roman Catholic Catechism. The first commandment in the Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. Amen? The first commandment in the Catechism says, you shall have no strange gods before me. The second commandment in the Bible says that you should make no idols, no graven images for yourself. But the second commandment in the Roman Catholic Catechism is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now question, why would you move the second commandment, completely take it out, and jump to the third? Do you know that if this was not the case, beloved, it would be impossible for people today to be bowing down and praying to statues of Mary? If Roman Catholics could just open up their catechism and see that God has said, thou shalt make no graven images, do you know there isn't a Catholic in the world who loves Jesus that would bow down to graven images? Beloved, I promise you, some of the Catholics that you'll run into in this world, they love Jesus more than, than anything else. More than Brother Paul loves bread. More than we love studying the Word of God. They love Jesus more than anything else. But the issue with reaching Roman Catholics is that the book they are opening has literally removed the very points that Jesus wants them to see. Did you know that? The third commandment, according to the Bible, is you shall not misuse or take the Lord's name in vain. Their third commandment is remember to keep holy, what? The Lord's day. But I thought in the Bible that was the fourth commandment. And not only is that the fourth commandment in the Bible, but the fourth commandment does not simply say, remember to keep holy the Lord's day. It says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. Amen? Beloved, 
We're dealing with a system, the Bible says in the book of Daniel, that would think to change times and laws. I pray that it's becoming clearer and clearer. It's not just about men claiming to be God. It's about men trying to exercise the authority that God and God alone has. How do you change the law of God? Is there anyone in this room with the power to change gravity right now? Did you know God made that law? Is there anyone in this room who has the power to change the, uh, the law that says, so long as the heart pumps, blood will flow? Can you change that? Do you know God made that law? So then any power, any kingdom, any man on the face of this planet who thinks themselves able to change God's law, they're in need of education, beloved. Did I say condemnation? What did I say? Education. God has good people in these denominations that need to be reached, beloved. And the very last commandment, thou shalt not covet your neighbor's house nor your neighbor's, uh, his belongings, they took it and they split it in two, commandments 9 and 10, in order to hide the fact that the second commandment was entirely taken out from the 10. In 1798, the Bible said in Revelation chapter 13, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was? Does anybody remember the date that the Roman Catholic Church received that deadly wound? Amen. 1798. What happened in 1798? Well, we see that in 538 to start, the Emperor Justinian issued a decree proclaiming the Pope to be supreme in religious matters. And since then, 538 AD, the Pope has assumed the garb of representative of Jesus Christ on earth. But in 1798, beloved, upon his refusal to renounce his temporal power, what type of power? Give me another word for temporal power. Civil power. Remember, the Roman Catholic Church is not just a civil uh, entity. It is a civil and a religious entity. Isn't that right? She receives worship. He refused to renounce his civil power. Pius was taken prisoner and transported to France, and he died 18 months later in Valence. This is what the Bible calls... The deadly wound. And the deadly wound was a separation of church and state. It was the loss of civil power. Are we following? We're coming to a close. Can I ask you for five minutes? Can I ask you for four? <laughs> sister said ten. Have mercy, sister. Ten is too long. We're going we're, we're to go on for about four more minutes, beloved. I want you to catch these points. If the loss of civil power was the deadly wound, and the Bible says that the deadly wound would be healed, then the healing of the deadly wound must be a restoration to the papacy of what kind of power? Civil power. But that's not happening in our generation, is it? Pope Francis has absolutely no influence on the civil powers in our generation, isn't it? Somebody talk to me. Have we been watching in the news to see the emergence of civil power once again with the papacy? Beloved, do you know that Pope Francis right now has to be just about the most powerful and influential man on the face of the earth? When Pope Francis speaks to Russia, do you know what Russia does? They listen. When Pope Francis speaks to America, do you know what they do? They listen. If Pope Francis goes into the Middle East and speaks to a Middle Eastern man, do you know what they will do? They will listen. Beloved, we are watching prophecy fulfill before our eyes. Now on our screen, we have uh, Pope Francis shaking hands with who? Shaking hands with who, beloved? Somebody said, that's my president. Joe Biden. President Joe Biden. Amen? 
Now, I'm not getting at men. We're not going to get into politics. Let's not do that. That gets too messy. But the point is, Pope Francis is shaking hands with the leader of the United States in this photograph, isn't it? Now, at the time, Pope Francis, uh, Joe Biden, was not yet the president of the United States in this picture. But the point is, if the president of the United States has gotten to a place where representing a Protestant country, he can shake hands with the very country that we once protested against, has a change come to this Protestant nation? There we have the same man, Pope Francis, sitting in the middle of, uh, I don't want to say thousands because that would be wrong, but I will say the representative of thousands, all right? The United Nations, sp sitting before these people, receiving the influence that he once had, we're told that it is true that there are real Christians in the Roman Catholic communion. Thousands in that church are serving God according to the best light that they have. But Romanism as a system is no more in harmony. That's our blessed sister Bianca. Praise the Lord. Romanism as a system, as a what, beloved? Is no more in harmony with the gospel of Christ now than at any former period in her history. The Protestant churches are in great darkness, or they would discern the signs of the times. The Roman church is far-reaching in her plans and modes of operation. She is employing every device to extend her influence, to increase her power in preparation for a fierce, determined conflict to regain control of the world and to re-establish persecution and to undo all that Protestantism has done. Catholicism is gaining ground on every side. Protestants have tampered with and patronized popery. They have made compromises and concessions which papists themselves are surprised to see and fail to understand. I can just imagine, Pope, doesn't he look surprised? The leader of a Protestant nation shaking my hand. The fact that I can stand in the, the congressional uh, meeting and speak to the lawmakers of a Protestant nation, that's a startling change, beloved. That has never happened in our history as a nation. Do you understand this? Give that loud cry, Bianca. Amen. Our last thoughts. The Washington Post asks a very simple question. Why the first Jesuit pope is a big deal? Did you know Pope Francis is what history calls a Jesuit? Did you know that he is the first pope ever to be a Jesuit? What is the significance of that? The Washington Post said in uh, March 2013, Jesuits are bound by oath not to seek higher office in the Roman Catholic Church. And now one of them has been elected to its highest office, the Bishop of Rome, the Vicar of Christ, Pontificus, uh, Pontifex Maximus. Pope Francis, the first Jesuit to become Pope, not only represents a paradox for the papacy, but also the larger history of the Society of Jesus, as the Jesuits are formerly known. The Jesuits have played a key role in the history of the church, and for centuries they have served as its leading missionaries. According to the Washington Post, the Jesuits, who Pope Francis represents, have served the Roman Catholic Church as missionaries. As what? Is that true? 
What does history have to say about the Jesuits? Do you want history to speak for itself? Do you, do you care? What does history have to say, beloved? On our screen, we have a man by the name of John Adams, the second president of the United States. He was born 1735. He died 1826. Speaking of the Jesuit organization, he said these words, my history of the Jesuits is not eloquently written, beloved. Uh, that's my word, beloved. But it is supported by unquestionable authorities and is very particular and very horrible. Their restoration, speaking of the Jesuits, is indeed a step toward darkness, cruelty, despotism, and death. I do not like the appearance of the Jesuits. If ever there was a body of men who merited eternal damnation on earth and in hell, it is this society of Loyola. Strong words. Very strong words. We have another man by the name of Marquis de Lafayette, who was a French statesman and general under George Washington. He died in 1834. He said these words, It is my opinion that if the liberties of this country, America, the United States, are destroyed, it will be by the subtlety of the Roman Catholic Jesuit priests. For they are the most crafty, dangerous enemies to civil and religious liberty. They have instigated most of the wars in Europe. Now, what I want us to see, beloved, again, as we're talking about this system, and now we're talking about this, uh, this special sect within the system, is that historically speaking, if President John Adams was alive, do you know that Jesuit Pope Francis could never have addressed our Congress? Do you know that if Marquis de Lafayette, who served under General George Washington during the Civil War, if he were alive, he says that Pope Francis as a Jesuit could never address our Congress. I want you to see what history is saying because I want you to understand that in 2021, the thoughts of men in the past is not the thought of our leaders today. There has been a change. There has been a what? A change. That is the point. We all know who this man is, amen? Abraham Lincoln, 16th president of the United States, on the American Civil War, he said these words, the war would never have been possible without the sinister influence of who? The Jesuits. Napoleon Bonaparte said that the Jesuits are a military organization, not a religious order. Their chief is a general of an army and not the mere father of an abbot or a monastery. And the aim of this organization is power. Power, now that's interesting. Revelation chapter 13 said that power would be given him over every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every people. Is that not right? The aim of this organization is power. Power in its most despotic exercise. Absolute power. Universal power. Power to control the world by the violation of a single man. And that single man, we call him the Pope of Rome. Just a few more. Fyodor Dostoevsky, who was a famous Russian novelist who died in 1881, said that the Jesuits are simply the Romish army for the earthly sovereignty of the world in the future. With the pontiff of Rome for emperor, he says that is all that they stand for. Robert J. Breckenridge, a uh, politi politician and Presbyterian minister out in Kentucky in the 1800s said that the society of Jesus, the Jesuit order, is the enemy of... Is there any man or woman in this room? 
Robert J. Breckinridge, politician and Presbyterian minister of Kentucky in these United States in the 1800s said that the Jesuits were the enemy of men. The whole human race should unite for its overthrow. For there is no alternative between its total extirpation and the absolute corruption and degradation of mankind. Beloved, these are not my words. Frederick von Hardenberg, a German philosopher in the 1800s, said never before in the course of the world's history had such a society as the Jesuits appeared. The old Roman Senate itself did not lay schemes for world domination with greater certainty for success. But Jesuit Pope Francis is not after power. He's not after influence. That's not what we're seeing happen in our final generation. Beloved, a change has come to America. Yes or no? John Adams, Abraham Lincoln, during their presidency, what is going on in this picture would never have taken place. Again, beloved, it's not about people, it's about A. Has that point been made clear? But there has been a change in Protestant America with the way we view that system. We have, you know, I read somewhere that it is a backslidden church. What type of church? That lessens the distance between itself and the papacy. Beloved, there is too much blood that has been swept under the carpet. Too many people have died for what we call the Protestant Reformation. America has forgotten her legacy. And God is seeking to raise up a people today who will restore that legacy, who will restore the protest and give the trumpet a certain sound. Is it you? Well, by the grace of God, though none go with me, I will allow the Lord to make it me in this generation, beloved. Because Jesus wants to save these people. I'm going to close it right here. In Great Controversy, we were told that Protestantism has always been menaced by formidable foes. The first triumphs of the Reformation passed, Rome summoned new forces hoping to accomplish the destruction of Protestantism. At that time, the order of the Jesuits was created, the most cruel, unscrupulous, and powerful of all the champions of popery. They knew no rule, no tie, but that of their order, and no duty but to extend its power. There was no crime too great for them to commit, no deception too base for them to practice, no disguise too difficult for them to assume, vow to perpetual poverty and humility. It was their studied aim to secure wealth and power and to be devoted to the overthrow of Protestantism and the reestablishment of papal supremacy. In other words, the healing of the deadly wound. Beloved, I believe that we're living in a very solemn time. I believe that we're living in the generation, just, just think about it. Some of us come from denominations that have been talking about the mark of the beast for years and for years and for years. We're actually living in a time where these things are going to happen as we are here. And God is seeking to prepare a people that can give the trumpet, guess what kind of sound? A certain sound. Are you certain this evening that you are a Protestant? Are you certain this evening that you take your stand upon the word of God and not upon the traditions of men? Beloved, there's a world out there that needs to hear these words, that needs to see this life from you and I. And until these things become our personal experience, we have no power 
to tell it to the world. I believe Jesus wants us to tell it to the world. What do you say?